0: Welcome to the Wordsmith Podcast. I'm Josh Bennett, lead pastor of Awakened Church, joined by Worship Pastor Matthew Grady Calhoun. Hey. And Executive Pastor Shane Suggs. What's up? And we're back for another week of the Wordsmith Podcast. Been glorious weather this week. Cool, cool mornings. Halloween is coming up. Everywhere you go, there's costumes and candy, all that exciting That's stuff. Fun. You guys got any like favorite Halloween memories or things you do at Halloween or do you celebrate Halloween? <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean we we you know, we kind of always did the fall festival. We find churches that would have fall festivals mm-hmm. and you know kind of make the rounds on some of those. We've done trick or treat sure. a few times. Um trunk or treat a few times I and mean, we've kind of made our rounds. I mean, you did kind of what everybody else in our culture, you know, does yeah. for those sort of things. So
2: Yeah, I mean, I love spooky season as it is known in my heart and life. Um <laughs> but I do I mean I, I thoroughly enjoy it. I don't really dress up for it man but that's only a missed opportunity I would have to go to you know parties and be around other people which is who wants to do that uh, <laughs> but yeah I, I mean I love spooky season I love Halloween I have no problem calling it I'm respectful for those who disagree I, I, I don't want to drop the hammer on anybody be rude about it but it's it's just a fun time you know, yeah. you know i remember when i was a kid
0: we did the classic halloween dress up sure. trick-or-treat hit every house in homerville basically <laughs> and with my kids now we do um the like you said the fall festivals trunk mm-hmm, or treats mm-hmm. yeah um downtown tifton here does a good little thing that the kids go to and always a lot of fun. We were in Arizona, we used to put on a huge trunk or treat. It was our church was in a shopping complex, so we partnered with all the other businesses and one of those was Walgreens. Yeah. And um, we always had these planning meetings. We do it at our church and everybody from all the businesses come. And so we're doing this planning meeting and the manager of Walgreens, we've thrown out ideas and he said, "I've got a great idea. We're going to offer free flu shots."
2: And I'm like <laughs> and
0: everybody just kind of froze like, "Is he serious?" And he's like yeah, we're going to do these free flu shots and they can sign up. And I was like, are we trying to turn this into a real haunted house or what? I mean, kids come get candy and a shot. Like, this is awful. And um, come to find out he had a quota of flu shots he needed to hit. Well, you know, most
1: uh, pharmacists or pharmacies, they get a bonus depending on their flu shots. I heard it on the radio. A guy was talking about it the other day when he's he's actually in, um, he's like a, he owns like a bullion company now. Yeah. Uh, so he's on Wall Street now, but he started off in a pharmacy and he's like, yeah. He said, I used to get a bonus. He said, it was like, he said, I would get like $100 per person that would get the flu shot that season. So he said, we really pushed that. Wow. And he said, then they open it up like all kinds of, hey, if you can get him to take this shot or that shot. Like yeah. He said, we got bonuses depending on those things.
0: Sure. So we could, you know, we could have a trunk or treat and hand out flu shots. That might be a lot of fun. That sounds like a terrible combination. I'm yes, it really does. <laughs> entirely honest with you, but you know we had thousands of people came to that event every year. Man, it was crazy how many people would come. It's a lot of fun. But so
2: wait, when when you guys were kids, I'm assuming y'all did uh, trick or treat when you were growing up. Yes, you the traditional. Much, yeah, yeah. I Did were you? Did you take it to the extent where Jim Harbaugh is the head coach of the University of Michigan football, and he when he was a kid. They had, you know, they would do the traditional trick or treat around their neighborhood. Didn't really go to other neighborhoods so much. And he would have one costume, and it would be a ghost or something. He would go and he would hit every house, and then he would run home. <laughs> he would put on the second costume, and he would run around and hit every house. And then he'd get the third costume, and then he'd run. he would do multiple trips in different costumes. He'd always do something, you nobody know, could recognize him or what have you. And he would get multiple trips. Anybody go that And he far? played the system. No, never.
1: Never. No. I guess I wasn't that bright. That's really a, a smart idea. I, I never thought about it. Oh, though.
0: you know, and I was totally expecting this to go with some costume that had pleated khakis, but
2: uh, he probably had a, at least one of them, yeah. One of them you want to show your face. The other two you don't want to show your face. Yeah. That makes sense.
1: That's so, Josh, do you, like, let your kids dress up whatever you want, or you kind of give them ideas, or you draw a line somewhere?
0: Or? Uh, we go budget-friendly. Oh, okay. I got <laughs> I mean, you. We, I got you. we do. I mean, we just, we've never spent tons of money on Halloween costumes sure. that, you know, you use one night. Right. Um, we And typically, they have multiple ones because they'll have things at school. So this year, Harper's going to be Peppa Pig at her school <laughs> Halloween party. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think she wants to be a butterfly yeah. at one of these parties.
1: And both then, of my girls were a ladybug one time. They actually wound up in the paper. Really? they picture in the paper. Right they were yeah. both, uh, yeah. It's interesting. Ladybug. Our boys
0: have never cared. They're just like, here, I'll throw a football jersey on, yeah. you know, that kind of thing. <laughs> Harper is very specific about what she wants to be, when yeah. and and where, which is not where does character. that come
1: from? Then I mean, because she's not learning it from her brothers, and I'm assuming you aren't. Like, hey, no. you need to do this. No, so. we don't. I, just...
0: Man, she's just different. You know, I've rethought a lot of my parenting thoughts on nature versus nurture sure. when with Harper because she does so many things that's so different than anybody else in our family. Yeah, um, that she's very unique, but. Anyhow, now, Pastor Matt, I know you have some strong feelings about the history and the evolution of Halloween, um, and it might be enlightening to our listeners, so share it with us.
2: Yes, I do have fairly strong feelings about Halloween. My strong feelings are grounded in this. I don't like when other people who accuse people who participate in Halloween, I don't like it when they accuse those individuals of sinning or dishonoring the Lord. That That's where my strong feelings come in. Um, Ultimately, I don't care if somebody celebrates Halloween (laughs) or not, which I think is actually the New Testament principle. I think we can go to Romans and we can go to Colossians where Paul in two separate places makes clear, you know, if you celebrate a holiday or don't celebrate a holiday or you celebrate a Sabbath, you don't celebrate a Sabbath. That's between you and Jesus. Right. Your job's not to judge anybody else. It's that's your right. call. What your spirit, your conscience, ensure. your conscience allows. What you want to. So just to be clear, there.
1: you don't you don't have a problem with me and my kids celebrating Halloween. You have a problem with other people judging us for doing so. Yes. Okay. But isn't I, it I Satan's believe... birthday?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I'm fairly certain it's not. No. No. <laughs> Uh, it's the day before a religious holiday that just became a cultural thing and then it kind of combined with the Day of the Dead. Some people kind of do it, some people don't. and, and then it's it, it is a sort of syncretistic thing if you follow it to its very like core thing, but it, it's not it is not sinful to put on a a, a a ghost costume and run around and ask for candy. Yeah I mean, there's just there's just no argument for that whatsoever. If you're not comfortable doing it, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. We should be charitable with one another. But one of the interesting things, it's it's a long post um, at Theophilus, I think was the name of the website, a long post where he talks about, you know, the church started this holiday is because of our confidence in our new life in Christ. The, that's why the church started this idea of people running around wearing costumes, making fun of the devil and witches and these pagan ideas. Is because we have our victory in Jesus Christ. We we can make we can point to the devil and we can laugh at him and his forces and his evilness, not because um, we're so strong, but because we're strong in Christ that enables us to now recognize that we one day will with. Uh, the apostles before us we will judge the spirits and the fallen angels ahead So was
1: it always called Halloween?
2: It well, Halloween is the combination of All Hallows Eve. Okay. So the day is All Hallows, right? And then the day before is All Hallows Eve and okay. that over time became Halloween. Okay. There, you've heard it from our resident
0: historian Pastor Matthew Brady Calhoun. <laughs> Far from it. Far from it. But fun time. So uh, whatever you guys do, go out and enjoy oh, the evening. We're going to have a fall ask festival ask here at the church. One more
1: question here, Josh. Do you participate in the candy tax? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, we, we always do. We're like, okay, look, you can go to the Fall Festival, get as much candy as you want. But I get all the Reese cups out of the bag or you know or at least a certain percentage. we always issued a candy tax in our house. yeah no it's
0: just too valuable of an opportunity to teach American government and politics <laughs> and how Uncle Sam works I, I just I don't want to deprive my sure. children of that opportunity to understand what tax truly is yes
2: uh, for the record obviously the, the the candy tax didn't apply to me but if the day comes, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm, I'm well, grabbing those Reese's. So,
1: okay. Okay. So that's your, that's what you would grab. Oh, others. I love Reese's. Yeah. yeah.
2: yeah. I, I purposely don't buy them because I know I'll eat a whole bag in one setting. Yeah.
0: My favorite when I was a kid and come home from Halloween and we just pour all the candy out on the floor yeah. and my parents had to check it, which yeah. now my wife organizes it. Like she creates bins of, cause she's real big on candies, not mixing. Cause I guess somehow the scent <laughs> makes the flavors blend. I don't know. There too. were
1: some of them. I just threw away some of that. Look, go out and spend a couple of dollars on candy. Yeah. If you're going to give out candy, give out candy. Just, out just candy. coming from a child who was disappointed a lot <laughs> as when, when I was a child and I would get candy and I'd get home I'm like, what is this kind of candy? And it was like, it tasted like sugar poured on cardboard, you know? <laughs> it was just awful. Like, go spend, you know, $5. Or, of course, I think it's more it's than that now. It's a lot more than that now. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, buy, buy some good candy. Yeah, yeah.
2: no candy corn. All right, well, let's
0: move on. Today, we're going to continue our discussion on the story of Elijah, and we're going to be in 1 Kings chapter 21. Pastor Matthew, would you read 1 Kings chapter 21 for us?
2: Yes, sir. Some time passed after these events. Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, and it was in Jezreel next to the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. So Ahab spoke to Naboth, saying, Give me your vineyard so I can have it for a vegetable garden. Since it is right next to my palace, I will give you a better vineyard in its place, or if you prefer, I will give you its value in silver. But Naboth said to Ahab, I will never give my father's inheritance to you. So Ahab went to his palace resentful and angry because of what Naboth the Jezreelite had told him. He had said, I will not give you my father's inheritance. He lay down on his bed, turned his face away, and did not eat any food. Then his wife Jezreel came to him and said to him, Why are you so upset that you refuse to eat? Because I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, he replied, and I told him, Give me your vineyard for silver, or if you wish, I will give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I won't give you my vineyard. Then his wife Jezebel said to him, Now, exercise your royal power over Israel. Get up, eat some food, and be happy, for I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal. She sent the letters to the elders and nobles who lived with Naboth in his city. In the letters she wrote, Proclaim a fast and seat Naboth at the head of the people. Then seat two wicked men opposite him and have them testify against him, saying, You have cursed God and the king. Then take him out and stone him to death. The men of his city, the elders and nobles who lived in the city, did as Jezebel had written, had sent word to them, just as it was written in the letters she had sent them. They proclaimed a fast and seated Naboth at the head of the people. The two wicked men came in and sat opposite him. Then the wicked men testified against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, Naboth has cursed God and the king. So they took him outside the city, stoned him to death with stones. Then they sent word to Jezebel, Naboth has been stoned to death. When Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, who refused to give it to you for silver, since Naboth isn't alive but dead. When Ahab heard that Naboth was dead, he got up to go down to the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite, to take possession of it. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Get up and go meet King Ahab of Israel, who is in Samaria. He's in Naboth's vineyard, where he has gone to take possession of it. Tell him, this is what the Lord says. Have you murdered and also taken possession? Then tell him, this is what the Lord says. In the place where the dogs licked up Naboth's blood, the dogs will also lick up your blood. Ahab said to Elijah, so my enemy, you found me, have you? He replied, I have found you because you devoted yourself to do what is evil in the Lord's sight. This is what the Lord says. I am about to bring disaster on you and will eradicate your descendants. I will wipe out all of Ahab's males, both slave and free in Israel. I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam, son of Nabat, and like the house of Bashar, son of Ahijah, because you have angered me and had caused Israel to sin. The Lord also speaks of Jezebel. The dogs will eat Jezebel in the plot of land at Jezreel. Anyone who belongs to Ahab and dies in the city, the dogs will eat. And anyone who dies in the field, the birds will eat. Still, there was no one like Ahab who devoted himself to deal with evil in the Lord's sight because his wife Jezebel incited him. He committed to the most detestable acts by following idols as the Amorites had, whom the Lord had dispossessed before the Israelites. When Ahab heard these words, he tore his clothes, put sackcloth over his body, and fasted. He lay down in sackcloth and walked around subdued. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite. Have you seen how Abab has humbled himself before me? I will not bring disaster during his lifetime because he has humbled himself before me. I will bring disaster on his house during his son's lifetime.
0: Okay, so here we come. Um, we have Elijah's come off of Mount Carmel, and they had the situation where praying for rain, praying for rain, praying for rain, rain comes. And then last week we looked at how Elijah went off in basically a, a state of depression And God called him out. Um, Elisha ends up getting appointed as his successor. And um, now we find this really interesting story um, tucked into this whole overarching story of Elijah and Ahab. And it's the story of Naboth. My guess is, if you're listening to this, you may may or may not have heard of Naboth, or if you have, it just kind of went in one ear and out the other, because he's not what we would call a major character in the mm-hmm. Scriptures. Mm-hmm. But it's a, just an amazing little story here, and I think ultimately has gospel implications that we'll talk about later on. But let's talk about Naboth. Who who was this guy?
2: If you wanted to, you know, put it succinctly, a nobody.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he, wasn't, he wasn't wealthy. He wasn't well-known. Of course, we'll get into it later, but he was a Christ type in the Old Testament. So yeah, we know that.
0: Um, and he find he kind of wanders himself into this story because he has a really nice piece of land beside the king's palace. Mm-hmm. And uh, Ahab looks out and it's like, "Hey, I want that." Uh, you know. Overall, let's let's talk about you know Naboth, Naboth. Was he a good guy, a bad guy, an evil guy? You know, because there's so many descriptions of people through this time period in the scripture that did evil in the sight of the Lord or sure. did right in the sight of the Lord. Where would Naboth fall in that kind of category?
2: Well, th- this passage doesn't make it explicit. But its absence of any kind of comment probably implies that he was just a normal good man. Yeah, and and there there is a
0: little bit of implication in the fact that you know Ahab wanted Naboth's inheritance and Mm -hmm. Naboth refused to give it to him. Yeah, why did he refuse to give it to him? Other than just hey, it's my land, stay off, you know, get off my lawn kind of deal? There, he had more implications or more reasonings
2: for that. Well, he even says it's his ancestor's land it's inheritance of it, right. the family it's passed down probably from generation to generation to generation
1: right because in in Jewish culture at that time uh, land was a sign of god's blessing on you and your family and so they what they normally did is if you kind of look at the whole old testament as a whole they very seldom ever sold land only in the most dire situations did they ever actually sell land Mm -hmm. they but they would lease it and that's all because that's a position because hey this is god's favor on you and your family because that's how they they looked at it so that's i mean that's how he obviously was looking at it
0: yeah and some of the reading i did actually implied that he would have been breaking the law um the spiritual law by Mm -hmm. by giving away this inheritance or making this swap and so he says no you can't have it um you can't have my land and that's where i was getting at that would imply that you know he was not just I want my land, but he was honoring the Lord and the, the law there, the spiritual law that, of um not breaking an inheritance. But he says no to Ahab. How does Ahab respond? Like a mature adult king, right? No, uh,
2: quite the opposite. A uh, spoiled brat would probably be the nicest way of saying it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: And you were able to see really who kind of had the authority in the kingdom. Yeah. Um, but I mean... But with the curse, God still held him responsible, um, even though it's kind of Jezebel pulling the strings, so to speak, uh, using his uh, seal yeah. and all that.
0: Kind of takes you back to the garden, think a little bit there, but.
2: A little bit, yeah, and it was done under his authority, still, yeah. ultimately.
0: Um, the interesting thing to me is I'm reading this, and I'm looking at, here's this king, that's wicked in the sight of the Lord, and, and we find him basically laying in the fetal position on the bed, weeping like a child because yeah. he didn't get what he wanted. Um, love that terminology, like a spoiled brat. But, you know, as I read that, I think, how ridiculous. But in all reality, we can all be prone to act that way at times if we're not oh, careful. Yeah. <laughs> you know, when we don't get what we want or we think we should mm-hmm. get. or mm-hmm. um, And, you know, Jezebel comes in, and she's like, hey, you're the king. Um, you know, man up, basically. Yeah, and comes up with this wicked plan, and it's a mischievous plan to take the take Naboth's land, and Ahab goes along with it. How does this plan play out? So let's kind of talk through this. I know we read it, but let's talk through her plan for him to get Naboth's land.
2: She uh, writes to the elders of the city, gets them to institute uh, a public fast before the Lord, where everybody's going to get together, and they're going to put Naboth in a place of prominence. Uh, that's normally kind of a seat of honor, so to speak. And then they're going to get these two wicked men who have no problem doing the wrong thing, so to speak. And they're going to falsely accuse him of uh, sinning against the Lord and, and cursing both God and the king. So a couple of things stick out to me. One, this, as I read
0: this story, so many different stories in Scripture kind of came up for me in my mind. So I'm thinking, too, of like David um, when he had Uriah killed. And had him like taken up to the front of the line and mm-hmm, yeah. and murdered in kind of that way. It's kind of a mischievous type plan like oh, that. Sure, yeah. um, This certainly shows us how wicked, cunning, deceitful, power hungry. I'm sure there's more adjectives we could throw in there. Jezebel was, mm-hmm. and um, while you've never heard of Naboth, you have certainly heard of Jezebel, and we've talked about that time and time again through this. Um, she was just completely wicked, and and you read this story, and you're like, man. Here's Naboth. Here's this guy that he's just living life. He's got a nice piece of property. The king wants it. He says no. And now he's stoned to death. Um, him and his sons. Him and his sons. Yeah. And the king is going to go take his land. Of course, the sons had to be killed too. So the inheritance, the land wouldn't just... Yeah,
1: right. well, yeah. Because so if he if it was just Naboth that was killed and 2 Kings, I th- somewhere in 2 Kings, uh, maybe 18th chapter, kind of indicates to that that... Um, it, it says that his sons were killed because they the land would have passed down to his sons. But even after that, normally, and this is why I think Jezebel, just kind of reading some of the history and the culture of that time, the reason that Jezebel' plan made Naboth kind of a, a criminal is because that's the only way that the king could actually seize the land because it still would be owned by their lineage because there were women that were still obviously probably were still alive and they could have remarried and it would maybe even stayed in their family but it was it was under their law the king could come in and seize land that was owned by criminals that's why the text says he went down there to take possession of the land and that was the reason um, some of the uh, historical readings that I was that I was reading—that's the reason that he had to go down there and do that because that was the the law of the land at the time. Right.
0: So here we we see this happening with Naboth and his sons. And mm-hmm. m- the question that arises for me as I'm reading this is a question that I get asked a lot, and maybe as a pastor in ministry, I've been asked this many times, and I'm sure you guys have too. Why do bad things happen to good people? And, and while we're discussing, we'll go ahead and flip. The opposite of that would be: Why do good things happen to bad people? Because that's one of those paradoxical kind of arguments that you go with. You know, mm-hmm. it seems like good things should happen to good people, and bad things should happen to bad people. And a lot of times, people use the argument that good things happen to bad people and bad things happen to good people as some sort of argument against the fact that there is a God. So sure. let's let's wrestle through this: Why do good things happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Well, I can hit on
1: the apologetical yeah, let's uh, do that reference that you said. On um, because that is one of the main arguments for people who say there is no God there, you know, God does not exist. And one of their um, reasons for believing that is that bad things happen to good people. Well, first of all, um, how do you know what's good or bad? There has to be something that you can determine what's good from bad. And yeah. in order for there to be good and bad, there should be a, and we're talking in in moral terms, not just, hey, you know, I didn't get the front parking space at, you know, Walmart so not stuff like that, but like actual bad things, you know, like, like evilly bad things. Um, but there has to be a moral law in order so that you can determine what's good and bad because you have this moral law that says, okay, this is what's good and this is what's bad. Because if you don't have that, then it's just your opinion against mine. Well, I mean, because what you say is good, I may say is bad and mm-hmm. vice versa. Mm-hmm. So there has to be an objective moral law outside of us because if it's inside of us, it's just our opinion. So if there's this moral law, then there has to be a moral law giver. Um, because if there's no moral law giver, then where do we get the moral law, the objective moral law? And so it would be in that sense, it would be more of an existent, more of a claim that there is a god than there isn't a god because bad things happen to good people.
0: But one of the times, or most of the time, when I see this, it's not like a morally bad thing as much as it is. My house just got wiped away by sure. an earthquake, or well, I, would say I got diagnosed still, with cancer. You know, like I
1: would say those, th- like I believe. But cancer you don't have to have
0: a morally right or wrong to say, man, getting diagnosed with terminal cancer is a bad thing.
1: No, I think it's evil. I think cancer is evil. And yeah. I, and we're talking about good and evil. And when I use the word morality, I'm not just talking about, hey, I I made this decision and it was you know, it was a morally wrong decision. I'm not talking about just in our decision making. I'm I'm saying basically good versus evil, so to speak. So I'm saying like those are evil things that happen to people. Like yeah. like cancer is evil, I believe. And so that um, when I use the word morality or moral, yeah. um, the moral code, um, I'm saying as, as in opposition to evil. Sure. Right. Well, I, I the think, moral good.
2: I think what Pastor Josh was trying to pivot to there was more of a pastoral concern, because your argument is more of an intellectual, academic sort of discussion, whereas I think what he was trying to pivot to was more like. When I'm counseling somebody yeah. who just had something awful go to my life, let's like, say, for example, their child acting, dying. Yeah, they're not asking for an intellectual argument so much. There, they're trying to understand why, why did this happen. Yeah, why? I'm I'm serving God. I'm living for God.
0: I'm, yeah, and God allows my child to die. Hypothetical here, okay? Well,
1: I've, in that situation, I wouldn't give an answer because no, no, I know, yeah, but sure I'm saying But we're
0: in a context here where we could discuss this, okay? So why do Bad things happen to good people. I think there's a couple of different reasons. Sure, one of them being uh, we live
2: in a sin-stained world.
0: Yeah, Um, and that's usually my my base argument. Yeah, Um, we live in a broken world. I mean,
2: a broken, sinful. That either applies to the situation. If what the gospel and what the scriptures witness to is true, right, that the world isn't as it's supposed to be, there is judgment there is consequence uh, sinful consequence in this world then there are going to be some things that we can point to and we can explain sort of like proverbs if you do good good will follow if you do bad bad will follow there will be things like that but then there will also be things that are outside of anybody's immediate explanation outside of anybody's ability to say oh this happened because of that Yeah, right. And this is one of, and a child dying, most cases is one of those things. It's not a question of somebody's fault.
0: Yeah, and I think one of the things that people fail to take into account, or maybe they just don't think through it deeply enough, is that sin broke the world in every possible way. Sure. So when we see a thing like a hurricane that wipes out a city and, and kills people and takes their homes and all those things. Mm-hmm. Like that's a byproduct of living in a sinful world. Yeah. Because sin broke a perfect creation. Mm-hmm. It bo- broke all of our relationships, our relationship with God, relationship with his creation, relationships with each other and all of those things and sickness is a part of that. Yeah. Um you know, part of the curse and part of being in a sinful world. So I think that's you, part of it.
1: In Naboth's situation, I've heard people say, you know, I believe people are inherently good. 've you know we hear that you hear that yeah. quite a bit but in like if somebody was asked they by think i don't think people are inherently good yeah. maybe um, most people
0: but not jezebel
1: right um but like even like i've heard people say well you know you know i believe everybody's inherently good but like that it just doesn't play out in the world like that you um time and time like one of the things people don't trust other people you know you i hear people say Man, I would do this if I didn't have to be around people. Like we don't, we, we don't like being. Around. And I, there's yeah. other reasons for that, but I think um, sin being in the world is part of that reason because people aren't just inherently good.
2: Yeah, and also, it's one of those things you almost you kind of hate to bring it up, but there's also a place to understand. You know, good is not a super well defined term. Mm-mm. right right it good means a lot of different things and it kind of goes back to what pastor shane was saying was apologetic argument it, it, good means different things in different places there's sure. uh, good is a sort of fairly vague term but yeah, whatever um so when, when some people say well why do bad things happen to good people they don't necessarily mean why do bad I mean, things happen me. to righteous people they mean things like, "Why does bad things happen to you know this guy who, as far as I know, I like and think yeah. he's pretty swell and doesn't seem to be doing anything obviously bad, like a murderer or something like that?" So they're they're thinking of it in those terms. Whereas, uh, you know, if you're talking about like Romans. Where it says "There's none righteous, no, not one." Well, that's righteous, and sometimes yeah. people translate that to good. But those are different words. Yeah. Righteous is justified, yeah. sinless, perfect, holy. Mm-hmm. Well,
1: nobody's that. Or
0: as it. Jesus said, "There's only one good." Yes. Um, when he was asked about what good deed must you do? Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and, and, and only a lot one of times, good. what do you call good?
1: And I don't, I don't know about y'all, but a lot of times when I when I have personally been asked that question, they're like, "Why did bad things happen to me?" Yeah. Like, why did this happen to me? And and again, like going back to my, Matt said, um, if you were to ask most people, hey, define what a good person is, they will start describing their self. I <laughs> mean, you know, just, yeah. you know, like nine yeah. times out of 10, they're going to describe their self to a T. If you because have we always these-
0: give ourselves more benefits of the doubt than we do okay. anybody right. else. Right, we're
1: always the superheroes. So, you know, um, if you start listing all the characteristics that a good person must have, and then you went back and asked them after that, or, do you have all those? Oh, yeah, I have, like, I listed every one that, I had, you know, uh, right. but, but that's just, again, that's, that's still part of the fallen nature.
0: Yeah. And and I think that's the, probably the base answer. I also think sometimes, quote unquote, bad things happen to good people because it's spiritual warfare. Sure. Um, I think, you know, Job's an example of that where he accepts blessings and cursings from God, but Satan had asked for permission to attack Job. Um, I think sometimes in our life we're facing spiritual warfare, Mm-hmm. I don't know, I don't think you can put a percentage on, hey, oh, no, this amount understand. of time, it's because we live in a broken world this time. And it's not always easy to figure out in the moment. Yeah. Um, but the one thing cr- scriptures make clear is that God is able to work all things out to the good of those who love him and are called mm-hmm. to according to his mm-hmm. purpose. So no matter what bad you're going through, what struggle or difficulty, God is a God who can redeem and restore any situation, any mm-hmm. struggle, any difficulty. And um, I know that, as Pastor Shane said, when somebody comes in and says, "Hey, my child just died," there's no answer you can give no, in that man. moment.
1: Or um, my mom just got cancer, or yeah, you know something yeah. along those lines. And like, because I, I remember when my dad told me he had cancer, because yeah. to me, my dad was the strongest guy on earth, you know. Right. And then you know this, like, oh man, he's you know there's a there's a chip in the armor basically of how I looked at my dad, and so I I, I often think back to that moment. Nobody could have said anything that would have comforted me in that moment, right. or or when my mom died. Like n- nothing they could say. Just the ministry of presence is the best you can do in Absolutely. those moments. Yeah.
0: So let's look at the flip side because it can be equally hard to understand sometimes. It's why do good things happen to bad people? And we actually see you know some precedent of David struggling with this in the Psalms. Of you look at somebody that's wicked and and they're not living for God and. You go, man, This is if I was God, this is who I'd be casting judgment on. Mm-hmm. And it just seems like everywhere they turn, good things are happening. Sure. So why do good things happen to bad people? Putting those loose definitions on good and bad again. Oh, sure, sure, right, sure.
2: sure. Uh, again, a couple of different things. It, it is a sinful, broken world. <laughs> so things aren't always going to work out in the immediate the way we think, right, mm-hmm. or the way it should be. Uh, I think that's true. I also think sometimes we, things we think are good— aren't really good, mm-hmm. like maybe money, fame, power. We, we often, cause those are things we often want. Uh, we often think those are inherently good things, but in a lot yeah. of cases, yeah, those are not. blessings. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And a lot well, of times they're curses not. in disguise. Yeah. Uh, the love of money is the, the, a root of all sorts of evil. So uh, you gotta be careful with that with your definitions and, and whatnot. Um,
1: sometimes I also think, um, uh you know because the bible says you know god reigns on the just and the unjust mm-hmm. yeah. um because uh, I've, I've often wondered this like they're like somebody you're like man they're they're the worst type of people they lie they cheat they steal you know those sort of thing um or they're just not generally a good person but maybe they're a hard worker and so they they gain a lot of money because they work really hard yeah. and so that that's just kind of reaping what you're so like you're you're reaping in one area good and maybe reaping in another area sure. evil. Right. I think that's the case for most people. It's not like everything's going great. It's kind of like, well, this area is going good. Like like my finances are going great, but my marriage is suffering because mm-hmm. I'm willing to put in, you know, all these extra hours and I never see my family. So no. my family mm-hmm. is suffering, which I would say would be the greater good in those two. Right but man, I'm making money hand over fist over here. It's because you know, you're know you willing to neglect your family over that, which I would right. say- It's not be, ultimately a good thing. Right. But, but it appears good. Right, You're saying, why are they reaping all the success? Well, mm-hmm, that may mm-hmm. be why they're reaping that success, which if we evaluated it rightly, I believe, isn't necessarily like Matt said, we may be looking at it with the wrong perspective.
0: And one of the things this text highlights and the scriptures, when these things pop up coming time and time again, There is a time of judgment. Oh, yeah. And ultimately, that is when God brings down his judgment, not necessarily in every little situation that we see Mm -hmm. in this life. And so here you go, man. works out pretty well for Jezebel and Ahab until you read the rest of the chapter, and you understand, hey, there's more to this story. So Elijah is prompted by God to confront Ahab, and what's his message to Ahab?
1: I've about had it with you. It's kind of how God, yeah. I mean, God's kind of. He's like, look, I'm done with you, Ahab. Like, I'm, you know, I'm passing judgment, and this is what it's gonna. This is what's gonna happen to you and your family and your heritage.
2: Yeah. yeah he it, he basically foretells uh, total annihilation, essentially. Mm-hmm. Yes. And yeah. I mean, very detailed.
0: Yeah. I mean, when you think about things like the Lord also speaks of Jezebel, the dogs will eat Jezebel in the plot of the land of Jezreel, mm-hmm. and that's pretty pretty rough stuff
1: which uh, you know it almost uh, like ahab why he maybe was scared a little bit of elijah because you know if you give a a proclamation like that to a king he's like okay well then you're the opposition so i just kill you and i'll kill this this prophecy with you or or something on those but um ahab i mean he he took it serious i mean we can see in the text that he took like, he's like, this is a real man of God. Like, I'm, yeah. you know, I'm fearing what he's saying because what he's saying is going to happen, you know?
0: Yeah. Ahab and Jezebel did something very difficult. They broke the patience of God. I mean, they they wore out God's patience. He rains down judgment. How does Ahab respond to this? I mean, you were talking about him taking it seriously. But- he
1: mourns, basically. Mourns his sin, mm-hmm. um, which is, it was in a cultural way, you know, he... he sure. um, put on sackcloth um you know they ash, yeah. yeah ash they would ash shave they would normally shave their head they they would sit in a pile of ash and wear sackcloth uh and they those are symbols um which was you know really big in in you know the nation of israel is real big in their culture like sure. mm-hmm. for this these these represent an inward uh mm-hmm. movement or whatever but he's basically mourning his sin um, but they did an outward reflection of that.
2: Yeah, he offers sincere repentance. It yeah, appears.
0: and I think that's the key word there. It was repentance, mm-hmm. and God does relent, relent in a way. I mean, it's basically look, I'm gonna not bring this down on Ahab, but I am gonna bring it down on his children and generations, mm-hmm. of Allah, which kind of reminds me again, man. So many parts of the story reminds me of the place in Scripture, David's repentance, mm-hmm. where it's like God forgive him forgave him, but like. But the sword will never depart from your house.
1: Yeah, because I mean, there's still consequences for your actions. I mean, right. even if even if you, um, you know, say you were on trial for something, you, you're sorry and you truly meant it, and the yeah. family said, "Hey, I, I accept your apology." You, you still have to go serve your year in jail or That's whatever right. it is, because right. there's still consequences for your actions. He's he's maybe he's relenting on the ultimate consequence. You know, like I'm you know right. I'm not going to do this to, you, but mm-hmm. like you still have consequences for everything else that you. You know, right. you've done and you've taken part of. And it's
2: also important to remember, I mean, Ahab, and to use the David example too, they're not just normal cats. Yeah. Like, they're the kings of Israel. They're supposed to be a figurehead for God's kingdom, for his rule in this world. Right. So when they sin, it it's it, there's a different degree of sin. Yeah. Because he even, he says it, as he's describing the consequences of this, he says, I will make your house like the house of Jeroboam's son of Nabat, like the house of Basha, son of Ahijah, because you have angered me and caused Israel to sin. Mm-hmm. So it's not just simply his own personal sin that's taking place here. He he has dragged the rest of Israel in yeah. to this, right. and much like David did when he sinned against uh, Bathsheba and Uriah.
0: I think this story has some very clear um, gospel mm-hmm. depictions, and so we're going to be back in just a minute. Take a deep dive into the gospel and how it's represented in this story. All right, we are back from our deep dive and we're going to be talking about how this picture represents the gospel as a whole and um, how the judgment that we see here shines the light on the gospel and eternal judgment. So what are you guys' thoughts as you read through this chapter on the gospel and how it's represented um, and presented and foreshadowed and all those things?
1: Well, I think in at least a couple of similarities, and I mentioned it earlier that Naboth was a type of Christ because there are some similarities in his situation and the trial and crucifixion of Christ. One being that they they proclaimed a fast and or they instituted a the fast. It's not like your family or my family doing a fast. They're, they're instituting a fast for all of these people. And the reason they would do this is because there has been some sort of sin or calamity in the camp. Like there's something that we have to rectify between us and God, and we do that through this fast. And so they they were doing that, and then um, of course Jezebel's plan was to use basically use uh, Naboth as a scapegoat. Like, hey, it, it was him who sinned against God, and so we through this fast we have we have found out who it was, and if we stone him to death, then you know we're good between us and God again, so to speak. And so in that sense, and, and he was innocent, so Christ was innocent as well. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a calamity on us, which was sin, um, something that we couldn't do. It was, it was a barrier between us and God. And so Naboth was taken out and he was sacrificed for the others because so that they the, between the people and God, the relationship would be whole again. And so in that sense, he's a, a type of Christ. But there was also a, a real close similarity between the accusations on Naboth and the accusations on Christ. Um, they um, accused Naboth. You have sinned against God and the king. You know, mm-hmm. um, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but during the trial of Christ, I said um, they basically said, "Hey, you have blasphemed God and Caesar." Basically, um, yeah. in in kind of that that same sense. So some of the charges that were brought up on both of them are really uh, similar, and so I think there's some similarities between uh, the situation of Naboth and. The um, the crucifixion of Christ,
2: I that that absolutely holds up very well. Uh, the thing that kind of jumped out at me was we see an undeserving person sincerely repent, and then that sincere repentance being honored. Yeah, which is really what the gospel is: is that none yeah. of us actually deserve God, any of this stuff we've yeah. gotten. God <laughs> so
1: <show> mercy. <laughs> like we we talked uh, in the last segment, you know that. Ahab basically mourned his sin. And yeah. you know, repentance and trusting in Christ is essentially you go through that process of mourning your sin. And after he mourned his sin, God showed mercy. Yeah. Uh well,
0: you know, it's so interesting because this story's been playing out for us week after week after week in the Bible chapters. Um, in the story in actual time, years. Sure. And God is calling Re- Ahab to repentance and it's kind of like this thing like well this didn't do it and this didn't do it and this didn't do it and this didn't do it but finally Ahab repents and man how we can be like that in our lives mm-hmm. so many times mm-hmm. to where it takes the final straw almost to bring us to repentance or you know you hear people have to hit rock bottom sure, um, kind of thing before the gospel really begins to take root. That's true often. Um, one of the things that jumps out to me at this passage is is that sin has to be judged, Mm -hmm. that there is a judgment for sin. I think Mm -hmm. this passage makes that pretty clear. And one of the the things to me, so obviously Ahab repented beforehand, but as I read this, it reminds me of the promise in Scripture that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Christ Mm -hmm. is Lord and that we will either repent before or after. And um, I don't know why, but when I see this story of Ahab, when it was kind of like, okay, I can see the judgment, now it's in front of me, then I will repent, and for some people, that repentance will be too late mm-hmm. um, because they will have already missed the opportunity of accepting Christ and receiving the gospel. I think it's very interesting that as we look at a chapter here, that all three of us saw different angles of the gospel, mm. and it just it reminds makes me even think even more how rich this hidden gem yeah. in First Kings is of the gospel and how representative mm-hmm. it is, and. There's so much of the gospel that we miss in the Old Testament when we don't really try to dig for it and look for it and um, focus on it. In some chapters like this, it kind of jumps out at you.
1: One thing I think that you mentioned earlier that we don't think about as often is that King Ahab and Jezebel, because of their wickedness, they essentially wore out the patience of God, and God was going to pass judgment on On them, Um, And and we don't think about that, you know, very often. And we feel it sometimes, though, don't we? I mean, sometimes, you know, I think of the Casting Crown song. Maybe we've even talked about this uh, season. They said, you know, sometimes I think I'm just one sin away from God just leaving me where he found me. And we think we feel that uh, a lot of the times, but we don't necessarily. um, We're like, well, no, you know, that's not going to happen. Because God does love us, but I, I think there is a point where God's patience is just wore out and it, it, it's because of our our rejection of repentance in our life. Yeah. And that's why the mm-hmm. New Testament teaches us repentance isn't a one time deal. It's not like I repent and God saves me. Yes. It's I continue to repent mm-hmm. of my sin because right. I and it's not because I hey I don't want God's judgment, because I want a closeness with God. Right. You know, I want to be close to him. So I want and what stands between me and him is is this sin that in in my life and so I want to repent. I want to continually repent of that sin. And we see none of that in Ahab and Jezebel's life. It kinda came it kind of came to this point where it's like, okay, you're you're just not gonna do this. So he passes judgment and then Ahab repents.
2: Yeah, and that's the thing is that he still ultimately ends up honoring that repentance. Right. Maybe, maybe and this is conjecture to some degree, I want to make that clear. Maybe up to this point Ahab and Jezebel, they regretted the things they had done to Israel. Yeah. Maybe they even felt bad about it. Maybe they were heartbroken over the consequences of their sin. But bef- it just kept building and building to a point where clearly, when he uh, he does the sackcloth, mourns in ash, that's the point where the repentance truly becomes actual repentance. Yeah. Right? right. Maybe beforehand, again, this this is just a guess. Maybe beforehand, it was just I'm upset about. These bad things I did. Yeah. Whereas now it's, I've sinned against the or Lord. Or the consequences yeah. of them. Like yeah, I'm, I've sinned against the Lord. Brian Chappell, I think it's Brian Chappell. If I'm giving somebody else uh, some, yeah, if I'm giving him credit, he didn't deserve, I apologize. Brian Chappell talked about the idea that repentance isn't so much a doing as it is a depending. Yeah. A, a doing is, I just feel bad about this, so now I'm going to fix this, right? That's mm. self righteousness. I'm going to fix myself. Whereas uh, if repentance is depending, it's saying, I trust that God will deal with the sin within me. He will forgive me. And now I will live in light of that forgiveness. And I I think that's what we kind of see here a little bit with Ahab.
1: Sometimes I'm not not sorry I did it I'm just sorry I got caught yeah, so, so, yeah. and so that kind of false repentance like mm-hmm. you're not yeah. really sorry for what you did you're sorry for the consequences that it brought about yes. back to you yeah so.
0: as you guys are both talking I couldn't help but think of that sermon by Jonathan Edwards sinners in the hands of an angry God that mm-hmm. you know at any moment he could pull those hands out that's protecting us from um, eternal damnation ultimately but yeah great thoughts. So that's our deep dive into the gospel depictions here in 1 Kings chapter 21. We'll be back in just a second to wrap up this
2: week of the Word.
0: All right, we're back to wrap up this week of the WordSmith. What are you guys' big takeaways from this story?
2: Uh, the thing that really kind of jumped out at me as I was reading it yesterday was God's care for the little man. I think we talked about it a little bit at the beginning of um, this season. Is that this is a this is book is we're we're dealing kind of with the prophets now. The kings is still history, but it's in that era of where the prophets were prominent, right throughout the his, uh, Israel's history at this point. We kind of talked about there's the major prophets and the minor prophets, right? And the minor prophets, it's not because, as Pastor Shane has said before, it's not because they were less important or they were minor in comparison to the major. It's just the books are shorter, right? right. Yeah. One of the things you see regularly throughout both the major prophets and the minor prophets is that God does actually care about these nobodies, these little men, mm-hmm. these people uh, who are just living their everyday lives that aren't these big, prominent figures. He cares about everybody. He cares about what is just what is right, what is good. Um, and we see this in this story, that Naaboth really is is a nobody. There is nothing super prominent. He's not a big deal. But this awful thing happens to him. This unjust, terrible thing, sinful thing happens to him. And this is where the light kind of, the something turns and God's like, now we gotta do something about this. Yeah. Because keep in mind, keep in mind everything that we've already talked about in this past episodes is that Israel has been worshiping a false god. They've brought these other gods in. Part of that worship was cult prostitution. Part of that worship was child sacrifice. All of these awful things are taking place. But it's this little nobody, no nothing kind of guy. He is uh, unjustly murdered and killed, and that's what kind of changes things and to where he finally pronounces judgment against Ahab that Ahab thankfully repents for. But that was the turning point. And you see this all the time in the prophets, that, that God cares even about the little things. Kind of Jesus speaks about, he cares about the hairs of our head. Yeah. He cares about the sparrows in the sky. How much more does he care for us? That's true, and it's not just a new concept that Jesus brings in. It was all the way back in the Old Testament. God has been consistent. He cares. He loves us. He wants what's right. Yeah. He wants what's just. He wants what's good for everybody
1: yeah I mean uh, mine was along the same line I, uh, my thought was that uh that God cares about justice because like that mm-hmm. justice is is his idea, you know mm-hmm. um, yeah. we, we didn't like our our laws, our sense of justice and, and it's, it's not it's not a reflection of the culture. Justice is a reflection of God, not the culture mm-hmm. in which you live in and I, you know you think about so many movies that you watch we were talking about movies before we started recording today and mm-hmm. and many movies whenever you see something wrong done to somebody somewhere inside you something crawls out cries out for justice like i want mm-hmm. justice for them you know uh, i don't really get any benefit out of it i, I want the right the wrong to be made right mm-hmm. and and yeah. we see it whenever we watch movies whenever you know just in culture in general but Justice is not culture's idea. Justice is God's idea, yeah. and and so God is a just God, and and we have to start with that because see, here's what we often when we're asking God, God, when are you going to um, apply justice to this right. situation? We we have to start start with the thought like. God is a just God. Like, I think we had. that's right. where we have to start, but that's kind of where we wind, end up at many times. We don't, we don't start there. Now, I'm going to start with the idea that God is just. Then I evaluate the situation against that, what I know to be true. Mm-hmm. Right. And that
0: leads into my big takeaway is that ultimately God will be vindicated. Yes. And um, sometimes we don't, like, God, why are you allowing this to go on? Why are you doing this? Why don't you bring judgment? Ultimately, he will. And ultimately, all things will be um, vindicated, and he will be honored and worshiped and in the right place. And I think this story highlights that very, very well. Uh, Man, it's been an interesting story this week. A great opportunity to talk through the scriptures again. We will be back next week with episode 9 of season 3, the Wordsmith podcast. No matter how you listen to the Wordsmith, whether it's on Google, Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, almost anywhere that podcasts are played, thank you for listening. Like it, review it, share it, let others know about it, and we'll see you guys next week.